Hello, Pathfolk, and welcome to the actual play of Hell's Revels by Find the Path. Uh, River Milton. Yes. I gave you a C for that. Whatever. I don't. You seemed confused. I do. I was very Heather, confusing. you are in the right class. Yeah. All Am of I? the information was there, even if not in the right order. It's mm-hmm. true. People know what they're here for. So yes. give the yeah. people what they want. Yeah. I will be hosting today, me, Heather. Rachel, unfortunately, is not with us today, but she is here in spirit. That's creepy when you say it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I've got her here in a little jar. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. This rumor mill is over Hell's Rebels episodes 28, 29, and 30. Big 3-0. Yep. Yep. Turning 30. Hey. Um, <laughs> episode 28 um, is episode where we went to investigate the Red Jills, and we met Nicolo's mother, mama. but never ever actually learned her name. She's just Mama. That's fine. I mean, I which, can tell you her name if you want. Which makes me think of the Adams family, so we're just going to keep calling her Mama. No, she's it's just fine. Mama. <laughs> you know? Fair enough. <laughs> she's everyone's Mama now. I mean, I think I have mentioned her name on the show before, but... I believe so. Nicolo doesn't actually call her that, because why would he? That would be weird. <laughs> um, and we learned from Mama that there were strange noises coming from the old Humbright house, which was an orphanage previously run by the Temple of uh, Aradin. And like a hundred so- years ago. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then uh, several priests committed suicide and killed people the night that Aradin died, which, you know, fun. Sounds like sounds like that was a party. Though mm-hmm. apparently part yeah, of the course for Priests of Arden after that <laughs> yeah, event. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They happened. went crazy and they kill people. I almost imagine like a feedback thing. You know, like uh, anytime that you watch any of the, the sci-fi movies or whatever it is, my mind immediately went to uh, Independence Day, but also like the <laughs> yeah. Avengers thing or whatever it is where the mothership blows up and then suddenly mm-hmm. everyone's just like, nope, boom. <laughs> Somebody blew up Arden and then suddenly all of his priests are like, nope, shut down. <laughs> yep. We're done. So, By shut so, down, you went, went mad and homicidal potentially. And, and maybe this is just like, I, th- I think it is a universal constant. I think that almost everyone in their hometown has a a creepy house mm. or something like that. A creepy institution building that everyone's like, that was an orphanage. And then there was a murder in this orphanage or something like that. And then they shut down the orphanage and now it's haunted by dead children. Like that, I think, is a universal truth because in the small town that Heather and I grew up in, it's There's a really creepy pretty. building. It's really pretty. Yeah. And it's falling apart, but it's gorgeous. But interesting thing is, literally, until I was 30, I was under the impression that that was an orphanage. Hmm. Never once in its existence has it actually been an orphanage. Interesting. But every story I heard about this building was that it was an orphanage. Yeah, people hmm. are funny that way. We should post some of the pictures of that place because it's. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's a really real creepy pretty. place. Uh, it was like a retirement place for women that were part of a union. Yeah. Yeah, there's like a union thing or like uh-huh. for like union wives or something like that. And it was like a retirement community thing for them. And I think veterans lived there at one point too. I think it might have been. Anyway. Anyway. Huh. Um, Creepy so orphanages though. Ross, was mm. Mama a priest of Arden? I got that vibe since she's still the caretaker of the building. So kind of. <laughs> um, she was in training to be one. I was going to uh, say, I got the vibe she's a lay priest because she's still alive. Well, so. there are still priests of Arden that were able to roll with it and move on to other things. So. They didn't all die. Just a lot of them did. And some of them yeah. converted to Iomidae or other deities and things like that. So, 
but mm -hmm. yeah, that was yeah. just kind of the vibe I got from her. But Cesare is not going to just ask that. Hey, did you used to be a priest of Arden? Because I'm being a hundred percent nosy here. Unfortunately yeah. for her, her formative training is in the priesthood for a god that no longer, no longer exists. exists. Yep. Which yeah. means making a living is difficult these days. Yeah. I sure I'm sure some of that is somewhat transferable between different deities. But like, what deity are you going to follow? in the city. Well, and importantly, you all exist in a world, as far as Galarian is concerned, where gods demonstrably exist. Mm -hmm. Where there's We have literal actual... proof of their existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so faith has to be a deep connection with a deity's portfolio, with what a deity believes. So even if you are a follower of Erdin and you survive the apocalyptic scenario where your god dies, do you really have the level of faith in Iomide to channel her power? I mean, some people did. Yeah, yeah I mean, some people can make the transition, but, you know, sometimes it's just not like, oh, well, I need to change a pair of shoes. Like, mm -hmm. a priest needs to really believe to be able to cast spells. The idea of immediately just switching gears and going, oh, okay, well, Aridin's dead. All right, what other deities are available in this town? All right, this guy, sure, Abadar, close enough. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the thing of, like, because it's a polytheistic religion, like, everybody believes in the deities, you know, aside from, like, Rahadum and some other places. Mm-hmm. It's what you choose to like follow and make central in what you like believe in like the tenets that you follow on a daily basis. Because yeah. like even though you're a you're a you know, say a good aligned person, you're not going to like say, Oh, well, Asmodeus doesn't exist because I don't follow him. You yeah. know, it's very much a oh no, he still exists, he's just not the one well, that I and you know, Raha Doom even acknowledges that the gods right. exist, they're just too much drama. Thank, thank you, Heather. <laughs> I was I was gonna make that clarification, but yeah. you are correct. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, they're the atheists of gods exist, but they're not special. It's like believing in the mailman. Come yeah. on. <laughs> but it's, a, it's that classic belief that a god is just Pratchett. a really powerful outsider. Yeah, it's not yeah, worth yeah. all the drama that they bring. I mean, just look at Chiliax and all the, you know, things like that. I mean, they're not wrong about that bit. <laughs> but we did go and investigate the ha uh, Humbright house, which Mama mm -hmm. has been tending to. I liked Rick's description of everything that she could reach was clean. And then above mm -hmm. that, it was like dusty. <laughs> I mm -hmm. love that. We need to go clean. There were a lot of fun details in that episode of Rick describing things, like describing how like the roof of her yeah. house was like if you were in the center of it, it was yes. Nicolo's height. <laughs> and if you were anywhere like on the sides and stuff, it wasn't. Yeah. So like Nicolo yeah. had like a path to be able to go in and go out. And uh somehow we directly found our way to the gang. Uh, we were we just really like Nicolo boss mode a door. Is what <laughs> yeah. happened. Okay, it really felt like we just like completely backwards that, like did we miss something that was we supposed just to tell us searched, a different I way? mean, I really think it was one of those, we searched the main building, went up the tower, oh, this door's barred, we can't Let's get through it, building. go to the other building. But like Jess said, Nicola was like, nah. eh. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining outside. I'm just going to open this door. <laughs> so fun thing about this. Some of this was improvisation on my part, and then some of this I feel like was an oversight on the part of, uh, I believe Crystal Frazier wrote this book. None of the map, like the Humbright House's map is not on here. Mm -hmm. In fact, like there is no assumption really that you're even like around the inside of the building at all. Hmm. Interesting. It's kind of leaves it very ambiguous on like how you get involved with the Red Jills. Hmm. And some of that I feel like might have just been crunch time or cutting things for numbers or and all the rest of that. kind of, Hell's Rebels has kind of a sandboxy feel. So it's like, here's this gang and here's where they are. How the party gets there is how they get there. We're going to give know? you the one map that you're going to need for the combat, and that's it. And it basically says that there's the ladder that leads upstairs. And 
that you can go around from the side and then that would take you through the side and you fight through the central building and then you fight across the thing and then you fight across the rooftops and then you get all the way over to the bell tower thing. But as the map shows and as is kind of indicated there, there is no access to the bell tower on the map. And so when I was like running through it, I was talking to you guys through, it's like, okay, well, obviously there'd be stairs up to this bell tower. And then I went through like the, the process of, well, if there's stairs up to the bell tower, there should be a trap door that leads into the bell tower. Yeah. Obviously. Mm-hmm. If there's a trap door that leads into the bell tower, that would take them directly into the final boss fight. So let me just go ahead and put a barrier here. I think Nicolo exceeded it by two or something like that. Cause I think <laughs> Ross rolled a perfect 20. Yeah. And yeah, so it's like, you know high. what? I'm not going to punish the party for like making a high roll or anything like that and go, oh, I know you rolled a perfect 20, but you can't get this door open because, <laughs> you know, the classic invisible wall rules of any video game. If you game go you through play. this way, you're going to desynchronize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the never went here. If you know you got a perfect 20, like that just is one of those, like, kind of, it feels like it kind of cheapens the success of getting a perfect 20 to be like, nope, yeah. uh, even with all your strength and a really good roll, you still can't do it. Never have someone roll if the roll doesn't matter. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I just decided, you know, and I don't know if that made it easier or harder for you. It made yeah. it really yes. interesting, actually. And no? Like, yeah, because yeah, yeah. the fight, we got through the door, and then Scarplume uh, attacked us, and her mm-hmm. Tieflings attacked us, and Tieflings. I'm never going to fix that, y'all. I'm just throwing that out there. That's like 20 years of saying Tiefling. I will try, but don't, please don't at me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, but we killed Scarplume and one of the Tieflings, uh, Cesare mm-hmm blew her right up so and adria and cesare got pretty badly burned by scar yeah we got scorched yeah yeah scar plume was very dangerous i know it was we kind of went around it backwards and went in the wrong like the wrong way quote unquote but it was kind of helpful because like scar plume was one of those characters that's like able to fly and was like getting off the bell tower and flying she would have been flying over us when we were fighting what there were five red gels there i can't remember four or five four i I think yeah but it was it was really interesting to see like the magic users were able to start attacking her all the melee people went and like squared off against the Jill, so it didn't really feel like, oh man, well it's a range thing, so I don't get to be as useful. Like it really felt like it was a an interesting fight because everybody had something that they could do to be at their best. Yeah, the way it may have gone a little easier for you the other way is you enter into a room where two of the the tieflings are, and then you fight them, and then if one of them goes down, the other one flees to join up with the rest who mm-hmm. are getting like prepped outside. And feasibly, if you work fast enough, you could take both of them down. The greater challenge for all of you is that you're fighting Scarplume and all four of them at once. Whereas when you're inside of the building, Scarplume's not going to go in that building. She's not going to give up her aerial superiority. So you at the very least have a chance to kind of thin the herd a little bit before you get into the fight against her. Hmm. On the plus side, though, wasn't there like some, I mean, because I know it was raining and everything. There was like something with the roof, like we would have had to make like some kind of acrobatics check or something. Yes, you Mm -hmm. do have to make a check to see if you slip. And if you fell, you fall prone. And if you critically mm. fell, you slide off the side of the building. That, yeah, that's what I was yeah. thinking. And I was like, I do not want to slide off this building and yeah, fall you get like a, 50 feet. You get a check to catch the, catch the ledge. Mm. And since it is a gable roof, so it's sloped down at the other side. When you fall off of the building, despite the fact the building is three stories, you're only dropping 20 feet. Hmm. Uh, so, still, that would hurt. Mind you, only in second edition, falling 20 feet is a lot of damage. Yeah. <laughs> but also, you're out of the fight, basically. Yeah, that's yeah. the real kicker. Episode 29 uh, picked up with the defeated Red Jills, where we talked to one of the tieflings that we brought back around. And she, Chloe, yeah. 
Yeah, and she basically said, look, we're just doing this to survive. Uh, Scarplume, once Scarplume took over, she just really hated humans, so that's when we became more violent. We just want to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were like, get. Yeah. Here's some Ches- tickets. Cesare was not part of that conversation. Uh, that's true. Cesare was downstairs. Yes. Because he was like, somebody should be here in case, you know, people notice this uh, Strix flying around. In case and... the guard comes over and goes, what's this dead Strix doing uh, yeah. here? Yeah. Mm. Raven got to be the most in be the most conspicuous lookout ever in her little rain boots with her kitty arms crossed. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. We I did eventually it... settle on telling the guard, hey, this is what happened because technically we had legal access to the building via Mama. So and we were acting in self-defense. <laughs> I guess it technically doesn't matter at this point, but if Cesare had been there, would he have been okay with how things went? Or like... uh, He probably would have argued against letting them run free just because mm-hmm. they might have just reformed the gang to cause more trouble. But Cesare doesn't really trust people. As mm. his backstory is coming out, I think you all can kind of understand why. I'm getting that vibe. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But we did tell the guard, hey, we fa- we were checking out this house because our friend's mother is the caretaker and she was hearing weird noises. This is where this gang was. A bunch of them ran away. And oh, yeah, they were being led by the Strix. And she did. We didn't really lie just sort of a lie of omission of why we were kind of actually really there. We did deceive, but we didn't necessarily lie. Well, yeah, we yeah. kind of like bent the truth. We weren't like outright yeah. just fabricating things. Mm-hmm. Well, you guys only had to make the one deception check. Mm-hmm. I was just going to throw this out here as a fun aside, actually, uh, and uh, maybe oh. a little bit of a, a tip for any game masters out there that need to come up with character names. I like the website behind the name. Oh, yeah. It's a because great one. You can, uh, yeah, you can search names by meaning. And when I went into this, I went, it's like, okay, so there's Typhling, and okay, she has green eyes. I'm just going to decide that. <laughs> I'm going to look up things with the name, with the word meaning green. <laughs> and apparently, Chloe is, uh, or Chloe is a uh, Greek name meaning green shoot. <laughs> but Chloe is the Italian version, Italian and Spanish version of that. Oh, okay. So, uh, and cool. since most uh, Kentargans I tend to give, you know, most Chalaxians I tend to give basically Roman and or Italian names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this kind of worked for it. So yeah, yeah, if you ever find yourself in need of something, yeah, behind the name and then just uh, punch in like, you know, this person has red hair and then find somebody like this. The word literally means red. Nice. I like it. Descriptors. After that, Cesare did have the dinner with his sister-in-law, Kalanis, where she was talking about going to this meeting with other people whose family, or with other family members of the missing Order of the Torrent Hell Knights, which he didn't really want her to get involved in because that's just going to bring the attention of House Thrun, and can can we not, like, can, can you not put yourself in danger? I'd really appreciate that. But she's being kind of stubborn, so... Oh, yeah. yeah. It's her kid. You got to do things to keep your kids it's safe. It's her son, right? Yeah, yeah. Cesare was like, I'll go. You don't go. You stay here where it's safe. Well, <laughs> in her mind, though, like, she doesn't know you're a silver raven, I assume. So it's like, well, why do you get to go? And I don't. Shut up, bookish professor. Well, she knows Cesare's whole backstory. She was yeah. there for it. So. I was going to say, she knows Cesare knows how to fight. <laughs> you know. But still, if, if it's my kid, I'm going. Well, and generally speaking, it's the whole, like, argument of, okay, well, if I'm just sitting this out, what all am I supposed to? Am I just not supposed to leave my house until martial law's over? In her mind, it's a, it's something that she needs to actively take the uh, the initiative on. 
Sorry, I was trying to look this up and I couldn't find it. So I apologize to whoever sent this. Somebody sent me a message on, I think it was Discord. It might have been Twitter saying how much that they appreciated the amount of foreshadowing going into mm. the future of like the next couple chapters and everything else of Hell's Rebels and Tyrant's Grass. I'm not going to spoil what they mentioned in Tyrant's Grass available <laughs> on our Patreon. But anyway, they jokingly referred to me as Lord of Foreshadow, and I was like, that is a really great title. <laughs> oh my well, that's God. why, like, that's why, like, uh, I think it was in episode 30, you, you mentioned the the phrase guards and wards, and I immediately, like, perked up, like, thinking if that was some kind of, like, overt <laughs> foreshadowing. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Rick I'm screwed if it's that, because that's yeah. a high-level spell. I, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, that's a really high-level spell, and we're going to be I also trolled. don't think it exists in second edition. <laughs> oh, yeah, I didn't think it would exist in second edition who either. Who knows? But it might at, be a ritual. The, at the coffee house on the next Sunday for our meeting, there was the note from the Poison Pen of Kentargo posted. Oh, yeah. It had a cool poem on it. Yeah, the city burned red as the embers spread, the night of Thrun's arrival. Our city impaired, oh, how have you fared since fascism's revival? The taxpayer for this new Lord Mayor through war his will imposes. The blood in our streets, this refrain repeats. Blood waters our roses. And we knew that the poison pen had been around like before all of this stuff was through, and they'd always been kind of making political commentary. But this is the first note that's been found in a long time, right? Like since, well, since everything, the night of ashes. yeah. Okay, but wasn't the note? Oh, also, uh, no. I was just gonna say. Also, thanks again to uh, Addison for sending mm -hmm. me that. It's a really cool poem. poem. And it was written in green ink and tacked to the coffee house door. And of course, water, roses, and blood makes you think of Milani like immediately. Yes, so. but the green ink makes My me girl. think of the green ink that was stolen from our hostess. We um, found that though. We found that ink. Yeah, we yeah, found that. We but found what if the she's pile. the poison pen? <laughs> Laria could be. I yeah. Mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't know. So. There's something about the fact that that's specifically called out as green. That's uh, it's just a detail. Could be coincidence. But I don't know. Uh, I feel like Laria's got enough jobs <laughs> as it is. <laughs> <laughs> Always room for one more. Thought Jordan was gonna say, I feel like Laria wouldn't post it outside of her shop if she was gonna post her. Also, or like maybe she would because it's a double, you know, it's a double blind. Yeah, thing. exactly. Like, that's what I. That's what you think yes. that I would think that you would think. <laughs> If I had learned nothing else from Lord of the Rings, the closer you are to danger, the further mm -hmm. you are from harm. Exactly. <laughs> we also had, Rexus had also finished decoding all the documents and the mm -hmm. section he decoded talked about how the Silver Ravens leaders knew that House Thrun was going to seize control and they were going to surrender. But um, then we, the timeline doesn't add up because... Uh, Bloodsoret said that it was the Silver Ravens, yeah, the that Sotria. kidnapped the Serene Mare's son. But if that was true, then the Silver Ravens should have already turned themselves in. So there's some sort of there might have been a schism. Yeah, maybe. Or yeah. I mean, Bloodsoret may have gotten the dates wrong or something. I mean, maybe could be but... something as simple as that. Well, the implication that you got from Bloodsoret is that. She was taken, inadvertently taken hostage, uh, whenever her contract was taken from the Serenity that she was serving. That was that Jackdaw killed and threw in a river. Yeah. And that she found out subsequently after that, that the Silver Ravens were responsible for kidnapping the Serenity, Lord Mayor's son. And we know that something like that had to have happened for Blood Sarret's contract to end up in a Silver Raven hideout. There had to have been something that happened between 
the holder of her contract and the Silver Ravens. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been trapped down in the livery. It's the interesting thing with running something in Chiliax where so much of the history has been re like revised. So eventually you reach that point where you're running to like the 1984 thing where it's, okay, well, this person is no longer in favor and therefore we have to revise everything that was ever done there. So like we have to go back through, you know, speeches that were made by the previous queen and remove references to this person because they're no longer in power kind yeah. of thing. But see, this isn't so much as getting information from like official sources. This Correct. is Silver Raven documents versus what a well, trap it's, it's more that you have nothing us. to... It's yeah. more that you have nothing to corroborate it with. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's yeah. no actual documentation anywhere. And feasibly, again, like with the situation going on with the Hellenites now, all of that information may be, be being redacted as you speak. Mm -hmm. If those Hellenites are no longer in favor and are removed, then eventually any reference to the Order of the Torrent may be removed. Well, and that's mm, why the, the archivist's knowledge cache, for lack of a better term for it, is so valuable because that's mm. been their whole di their whole shindig is just, I preserve all this history that everybody wants forgotten. Yeah, but we're kind of getting into episode 30 there because at the episode, end of episode 29, Rexus dropped the bomb that he might have found the base of the order of the archivists and that his mother may still be alive. Mm. Yeah. Which would be <laughs> Quite huge. Quite a reveal. Mm-hmm. So he told us that he, through the deeds he had found that, that we had recovered from the Victatora estate, that his family had several, it almost sounds like dummy or shell companies that they had yeah. purchased properties through. Rich people are the best at doing shady stuff. And, and he yep. traced a purchase to Hokum's Phantasmagorium in the Red Reef District. I'm so excited. Also, um, naming it Hokum's, like, ho it's just some Hokum. You yeah. know, like, there's something very <laughs> funny about the name of that place. <laughs> and he believes that might be the secret order of the, or the secret headquarters of the sacred order of the archivists. Um, mm -hmm. His family had apparently spent a lot of money, quote unquote, remodeling, but doesn't seem like there'd ever been any attempt to reopen the, mm -hmm. reopen it as the attraction that it was. So we'd sent the Fushi sisters and Morgar's Mad Cats to kind of scope the place out with their special abilities when special missions have come up. And mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a crap ton of Asmodeans hanging around Time this place. Time to kill Asmodeans. A lot. A priest and some of these redactors whose uh, job's devil. just to take a black Sharpie and X crap <laughs> out of books. Oh, I, I didn't uh, give you guys the... Um, you guys have officially entered into part three. Uh, hey. Of this adventure path of this book, which is uh, Redactions and Revenge. Oh, my God. Ooh, it's time. <laughs> Let's get up. Nice. And Barzillai's nice. bodyguard, Knox, who's most likely some sort of devil's there, and there are hellhounds mm. there. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be like to posit a quick theory, actually, for, as to Knox. It is mm. entirely possible that she is a devil. It is also entirely possible she might have some form of infernal contract that gives that's her true. supernatural that gives her, like, fast healing or something. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. We'll find out one way or another, but... I don't and think you guys ever gathered information on Knox. No, nope. we, we, we didn't I know her name. I honestly didn't think that we were going to have to mess with her till way closer to the end. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was the in the same boat. Yeah. I was well, like, she may or may not even be there I was like, the she's going to be an Aranese with class levels that we're going to have to fight at the same time as Brazilla or something That was kind of like what that. I was thinking, too, is that she was yeah. an Aranese in disguise. That is the challenge with my foreshadowing sometimes. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes it foreshadows too far. <laughs> um, but... 
Morgar's mad cats are gonna cause a distraction and also act as snipers if any of these people decide to try to flee the building because at this point these are members of the Church of Asmodeus and as Cesare pointed out in the episode yeah we can't let these people live they have access to way more resources than anyone else that we've encountered in our yep. struggles yet so well, we got to have a fun Cesare Adria moment of yeah let's just kill him yeah <laughs> like we're both cool with murder this is fine yeah, and more of Cesare's backstory came out with the weird rumor about that was the Knights wild. of the Torrent, where they're like, mm. oh yeah, they're really a thieves' guild, and Cesare's like, yeah, no. Well, I'm, I'm just sure gonna that's... say, I think there's some <laughs> massive divinations going on, because there was like that grain of truth in Somebody's that Somebody's contacting lie. outer planes, okay? That's what's going on. Because they know but... a lot about all this, like, you know, like, forgotten history, like, you know, secret well, society stuff. Well, the Thrones have the real history. There, There's another angle to this, though. I mean, there that grain of truth could just be what they base the embellishment on, because yeah. like they could literally just be making all this up and spreading this rumor themselves yeah. just to get to pe the people to hate the Order of the Torrent. Because yep. remember, the Order of the Torrent is extremely popular. If they were like publicly executed or something, there would be a massive backlash. Like they are the, the only lawful good Hell Knight Order. Yep. So, yeah. Well, I don't yeah. have my dandy ability isn't high enough to manipulate rumors very well yet, but soon. We did find out that Cesare's brother was executed, even though he wasn't part of the embezzling scheme that they did in 4675, where a bunch of the officers were just like, we're just going to keep mm -hmm. this gold we found from the Thieves' Guild instead of turning it over to the proper authorities. Hey, so, Hell Knight plate's expensive. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Technically five gold more than regular full plate. Yeah, I no. think if you read the Pathfinder wiki on the Knights of the Torrent, it's like their paralictor and and like pretty much every single officer of any standing was like publicly executed in front of the Church of Asmodeus after. I do uh, encourage people skills. not to read that because yeah. it does contain some spoilers. But yeah, so the entire basically leaders of the order were executed in forty six seventy five, Cesare's brother among them, who his you know, his sister in law who we met in the previous episode's husband. So mm -hmm. Yeah, Cesare's yeah, not son. down with this whole they might be part of the Thieves' Guild thing because, yeah. That so just their son followed well in, their, in his father's footsteps, huh? Yep. Yep, mm. to protect the city. And Which, Cesare. I mean, you know, is not. Pre Thrun is not a bad thing, right? Yeah. Because, like, they're the ones who go after kidnappers, they're the lawful good mm -hmm. Hell Knights, you know, like. If you're going to join the Hell Knights, that's the best order to join, basically. And, and Cesare has a pet theory that his nephew is hoping that he can find some long-lost evidence that his father was innocent and get his name cleared and all that stuff, too. Mm. But he's not really had a chance to talk to his nephew about that because, you know, he's Disappeared. missing. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, that does sound like a great start to an adventurer's backstory, though. <laughs> like, yeah, that's sure. some good motivation right there. He's going to be an adventurer for sure. Okay, if Cesare dies, you have a built-in backup character. <laughs> I had not thought about that, but anyway. I mean, yeah, kind of. It's like, yeah. I need to avenge my uncle and my father. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of avenging to do. And they arrested my mother. <laughs> I could also play Cesare's niece. She's training to be a bard. She works oh, at the school. And um, This is the advantage of Heather having like a fully developed family tree of people. Oh, yeah. She's got lots of characters she can pull from. Cesare's <laughs> got a younger sister who's off with the Pathfinder. She could swing through if Cesare died. Hey, I got died. a son somewhere. Everybody's got a son. <laughs> Am I the only person who didn't write in some like backup characters? Well, I wasn't planning on playing the son. Yeah, I didn't ever intend these any of them to be backup characters. Um Mama is not going to join the Silver Ravens <laughs> if Niccolo dies. Oh my god, Mama, yes, Mama comes out and she's like full barbarian. She's got oh this like god, tiny no. little great axe and she's like, yeah. ah, you killed it. my son. 
And we will attack at dawn. Well, well no, at sunset. sunset. Yeah, the opposite of dawn. Yes. Eventide. And Cesare's ready for some Asmodean murder. I'm ready. I mean, Nicola wasn't exactly thrilled about the idea. So episode 31 will pick up with us maybe murdering, probably murdering. Look forward to the murder. <laughs> anyway, so emails. We have some emails, y'all. Before we do move on, when you guys were actually talking down there, you did get to meet a couple more oh, yeah. Patreon yep. NPCs. Oh, yeah, yeah. In the form of uh, Hagar Hardstone. Which mm-hmm. is uh, Eagle King 64's contribution. Hey, mod. Hey, Very nice. cool. Yeah, who I believe is also one of our mods for our Discord. Yeah. Yes, he is. Indeed. I liked Hagar. He was pretty cool. Yeah, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, Hagar, I I think that there's at least two dwarves that were in here. So they're like, uh, if I make a dwarf, we're definitely going to be including I mean, them. You're more. not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> they know you and too we well also, at this point. We also met Nix. Uh, Nix, yes. Uncle Nix, uh, which was Uncle submitted Nix. by a uh, friend of the pod, TJ. Ah, this all makes yeah, sense. Okay, this makes a lot of sense. Uh-huh. It was basically described as uh, Tiefling Mr. Rogers. Yeah. Okay, I was about to say. Okay, like, all right. We got <laughs> that's, the vibe that's why I was well. getting the Mr. Rogers vibe. There we go. I'm glad that I got that vibe across, even though my version of Mr. Rogers comes across as kind of Southern, because apparently when I start doing the Mr. Rogers voice, I also start leaning into my Southern. Yeah. That's okay. I got the references over time because you talked about changing out the shoes and then the sweater. I was like... That's Mr. That's Mr. Rogers. <laughs> I literally was like, man, I need to go find somewhere that's streaming Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and go watch some of the old episodes. <laughs> I think I even so threw in the phrase, my neighborhood, once. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> so, yeah, that's awesome. Apparently, he's a, uh, a confectionery. Oh, hey. Fun. Nice. He runs a, a small confection. I believe it's a confectionery somewhere. All right. Anyway, had some uh, great additions there. Our first email is from Tillin from Minnesota. Hello, Minnesota. Greetings, y'all. This is Tillin from Minnesota, but hey, given Till. my particular line of work, I think I'd probably be from an extra-dimensional cross-plane of the of the shadow plane plane of air and water. I work overnights. <laughs> <laughs> or or you can hang out with me in Nightall where it's always dark, because I also mm-hmm. work overnights. So hey, yeah. I don't know darkness. if we've ever put anyone in Shadow Absalom. Oh, that's, Ooh, yeah. Shadow Absalom. I kind of like fun. a Shadow Absalom. All right, so. Yeah, Tillin, apparently you're from Shadow Absalom, Shadow where Absalom. you cover the night shift. Sounds good. Rachel's not here to do the bad Minnesotan accent, so. Minnesota. <laughs> they go on that, I've been listening to Pine the Path for a while now, and I'm always pushing back my other podcasts to listen to your newest episodes. And oh, the same goes you. for Hell's Rebels. Well, thank awesome. you. Yes, thank thank you. you. It is wonderful to listen to the inner character back and forth, both out of and sometimes in combat. Y'all have been an amazing experience, and I look forward to the Sky Pharaoh being grounded. Yeah, so do we. <laughs> See our mummy's mask adventure. Yes, yep. that guy's a jerk. I wish y'all the best of luck. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, like you're on your own there. Yeah, I can't help you on that one. Ross is going to play the Sky Pharaoh. Sorry. Oh, God. Special <laughs> <laughs> guest Ross playing oh, the man. Sky Pharaoh. <laughs> what a that twist. would be something. <laughs> Tillin goes on, I have two questions for the group today. The okay. first question is, what is everyone's opinion on monstrous characters such as lizard folk, gnoll, or hobgoblin? I personally love the idea of what's commonly thought of as a strictly evil race and turning the table on that. I yes. don't mind people playing monstrous characters as long as it makes sense for where you are playing. Mm-hmm. Like a lizard folk in Irisen does not, you know, that's very strange. It's too cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But like if you're playing down in Catapesh or Assyrian and somebody wants to be a knoll. Um, yeah, that's what I was actually about to say. Yeah, and Paizo's <laughs> trying to, I think, getting away from the idea of 
this race is all evil or this race is, you know, I think that's like they've how they've changed goblins in second edition. Or the orcs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think as long as you can justify it either with like a backstory element or something as to like, you know, why you're different and, and everything, you can totally make it work. I think the, the caveat to it, especially like if I was GMing it, would be I'd have to sit down with that player and be like, you do realize like you're going to have prejudices. You're going to have people that just assume because you're a, a kobold that you're, you know, up to something trying to set traps or whatever, you know, like there's. Yeah. And there's things like that that depend on just your play style. Like we include the fact in our games that the tieflings in Kentargo mm-hmm. are treated poorly. And if that's not something that you want in your game, you don't have to have it. But absolutely. We do mm-hmm. those. We keep that. I don't want to say more realistic because that just sounds gross, but you know what I'm trying to say. We just... Some grittier things. Yes, grittier things are a part of our games. Well, the the important thing is is that that backward viewpoint of just because of your heritage, you are inferior is something that your characters are fighting against because it is prevalent amongst the... The baddies. Devil-worshipping... Aristocrats and people like of in our the, case of the example. nation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's especially like, do not make a character like, do not make a character that is like, I really hate kobolds. If you know your another player is going to be a kobold, like, yeah, don't do that. Like that, that is unnecessary drama. It's going to hurt people's fun. Like, you just don't need to do that. However, I am here for monster creatures all the time. I wish I more say, monster Jess creatures monster were playable. Creatures. Well, and then kind of talking about Mummy's Mask, we recently found a character that is something that would normally be evil, and we're like, we love her. So, <laughs> always, always. Yeah, so. I love I me some works. I think it just depends on your table and your players and everything like that. But on the whole, <laughs> as long as it makes sense and it's something everybody else at the table is okay with, especially in second edition when a lot of those are uncommon or rare or or things like that. That if you let one player play an uncommon race, you can't tell everybody else no, or everybody gets one uncommon thing. And if that's your race, that's the uncommon thing you get type situation. Yeah. Heather summed up my thoughts actually very accurately. I agree 100% on the idea of not having races be strictly evil. Like I've always Mm -hmm. been fine with the idea of, you know, if you're turned into a vampire, it makes you evil because it's a curse as opposed to like an actual heritage or ancestry Mm -hmm. in this case. But damn fears can be any alignment. So Yeah, you know. but just the idea that, well, goblins are evil, even if this goblin was raised in a human orphanage or something like that, the goblin will be evil. Yeah, that doesn't so, make any no, sense. No, that's, that's backwards. I think the idea of, uh, I almost think GMs should preempt it, where if you're approaching your players and letting them know this is the game that you're going to be playing, Hell's Rebels, for instance, that we did, I included in there that it's just like goblins in the setting are uncommon, but Tengu are common. And mm-hmm. Azamar are still uncommon, but Tieflings are common. And just kind of preempting it and saying, like, these are the ones that are acceptable. And feasibly speaking, if you guys left Kentargo and had a journey around outside and one of you died in the wilderness or something like that, I might just approach and say, okay, by the way, you know, make a new character and all the rest of that. And you know what? I I know they're a rare option, but you could play Strix if you wanted to because it makes sense for the region or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. One of those goblin cliff divers that are like oh yeah there are goblin cliff cliff divers oh yeah i forgot that's how they that's how they prove their like worth to their tribe is whoever can jump the highest and not i guess go splat but you know (laughs) you play one of them but they're scared of heights and so they're hiding from their tribe yeah they're banished because they're too cowardly (laughs) i would only jump from like two feet up (laughs) i do think that was literally at the who the person in charge of their tribe is the one that leapt from the highest point yeah 
Nice. And so, so to like be the new tribal leader, you have to like, okay, well, I'm, I'm on a rock that's six inches taller than that rock. And then I jump off. Why do I imagine <laughs> that they are also really good at stacking rocks so they can make their little diving boards <laughs> as they go off? <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, I think Heather answered that pretty well. Tillin has a second question. I have been playing in my free time, Alcat's Wrath of the Righteous CRPG, and was wondering cool. about your opinion on Mythic. Uh, Wrath of the Righteous is really fun, but I will say the mythic rules in the video game are completely different from the pen and paper mythic rules. Because mm. on the pen and paper, instead of like having like almost like a heritage type situation like they do in the video game where it's like angelic or demonic or there's the Azada and things like that, it's more of an archetype type thing like mm. the hero fan and the champion and that kind of thing. So... Uh, I'm not familiar with the CRPG version. I haven't had a chance to play Wrath of the Righteous yet. Um, hopefully soon, um, because that is absolutely my wheelhouse. But it's very fun, Ross. You will enjoy it greatly. I, I had a feeling I might. <laughs> Tabletop RPG rules, I am very fond of. I think that unlike some of Paisa's other work, it does tend to be a bit more untested as far as like balanced against each other. But I think that's okay because Mythic is kind of this like broad swath of unusual powers and abilities that you really can't do otherwise without completely breaking Pathfinder 1E. I mean, that's kind of like their their whole reason for Mythic was like, what if we turned it up to 11, right? So like yeah. it is like almost game breaking abilities that you get. Um, I've only played the first four hours of the CRPG, so I haven't gotten a single mythic ability, so I can't really comment one way or another. <laughs> I also never played the pen and paper, so I'm, you know, I'm just over here. Enjoying I just all, read all the commentary. the Mythic Adventures yeah. book on a lark one day. <laughs> mythic is interesting. Doing a spattering of mythic in things can make things intriguing. Mm -hmm. uh, dropping in. Here's something with a little bit of mythic power to give it slightly more power or something as far as a monster is concerned. Especially if it's like some like, this is a unique legendary creature. Yeah, like kind you of just a have thing. to be careful with that because some of the mythic stuff, like Ross said, is very game breaking. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I have an interesting opinion. I'll get all of y'all's uh, view on this. Sounds good. Second edition, I don't mm -hmm. think needs mythic because that's basically the moment your character hits 15th level, you are. <laughs> yeah. 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 Legendary proficiency in a lot of things mm -hmm. tends to do that. Oh, yeah. yeah like yeah. like legendary proficiency with uh, acrobatics and the cat's fall feet means that, oh, I fell, I don't know, five miles from basically orbit. <laughs> yeah, I land on my feet and take no damage. Yeah, there's yep. actually a mythic feat that lets you do that. Like, you can yeah. pretty much fall from orbit and, yeah, I'm fine. Once you start getting into the legendary proficiencies with stuff, and especially some of the high-level feats for the classes... Pretty much every character in Pathfinder is mythic. So in Pathfinder yeah. 2 is mythic. I'm inclined to agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I think um, especially talking about some of the level 20 capstone feats, um, there's several where like you're just oh, yeah. permanently hasted, but can use the extra action for, you know, something to do with your class abilities. Um, yeah. There's some where it's just like, okay, I get an extra 10th level spell, which are bonkers. Um <laughs> You know, all sorts of crazy stuff like that. So, yeah. 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 I mean, if, if the, the, the way that I kind of look at Mythic is like Mythic makes you feel like a superhero. Like mm. that's high level 2E. You basically feel like a superhero. Yeah. yeah. I jump 60 feet in the air and do a flip and then land on my feet. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, you can just do like ridiculous stuff. Yep. 
No magic, just me. Yeah, exactly. That's just like pure skill, you know? Skills. All right. Well, Tillin signs off with with that. I hope everyone's day as well regards Tillin. Well, thank you for your email. And I'm glad you enjoy listening to us and our shenanigans. Have fun (laughs) in the dark lands of Shadow Absalom. Indeed. Email two is from Mike from Kentargo. Hey, Hey, Mike. Mike. We'll place you in Kentargo, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I think we did previously. Yeah. Mike starts out, hey, everyone, greetings from the Silver City. I hope this finds you all doing well. I had to correct a statement I made in a previous email. My current group has been together 27 years, not 15. Oh, wow. Whoa. Yeah. It was 15 years ago. One of the group moved out of the country and left the four of us to carry on. That's Uh, like longer than Rick and I have been playing. It's impressive. Yep. And it's unfortunate that that happened 15 years ago before... uh, Virtual tabletops were as yep. much of a oh, thing. Oh yeah. Although maybe get this uh, this friend back in. I was yeah. gonna say because nowadays, like, it is really easy to to do a virtual tabletop and get everybody True. together again on Discord. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes on. The group got together because our GM worked at a Barnes and Noble and started a D and D group in the store. I was awesome. there one night in January of 1992. Over the next few years, the others joined in. When the game ended, we moved to the game to our GM's house. We did a lot of homebrew campaigns over the first 10 years or so to really stand out as a lot of fun. One was our Harry Potter game where the only requirement was each character was an arcane spellcaster. I was a song mage who cast spells with his harmonica. I had a raven familiar (laughs) named Blue. No guessing for no points for guessing the style of music I played. There you go. <laughs> yep. Nice. The, the other was Warlock. The premise was it was a CW young teen uh, nice. sci-fi drama. Oh my god. <laughs> Those are my <laughs> guilty pleasure shows. I love it. <laughs> I feel seen. A group of warlocks under a common mentor to try to stop the mentor's arch nemesis from taking over the world. That's amazing. Oh. My question finally is: Do any of you have homespun games that really stand out as fun or memorable? Um, since we've gotten older, I've we've mostly done APs as far as I I've been playing. So yeah, when I was a lot younger, I did a whole bunch of games. I mean, heck, I even did something that was basically magical school game. It was evil magical school game because I placed it in. Uh, everyone played Red Wizards of Thay in the Forgotten Realms, oh, and instead boy. of like houses, it was divided by. Uh, yeah, there were the school. eight houses basically, which yeah, were just because, the eight schools of magic. Because all the Red Wizards have to be specialized. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I remember doing that, and Heather and I did a really long-running Vampire the Masquerade game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But no, currently I we don't I don't have any homespun homebrew kind of things. Like we bring our own familiar, we bring our own touches to our APs, but mm. yeah, we don't really have any 100% home, or I'm not part of any 100% homebrew games right now. I mean, I'm not right now, but I did. Um, so sidetrack story, I suppose. My mom used to play D and D. Back when she worked with Microfish. Oh, wow. Which like is really, really I old was tech. Born. <laughs> Say, we don't even have a Microfish reader anymore. Yeah, like she worked, they, she and my dad worked in the same place, and they would, she worked overnight, and they had an ongoing D&D game their entire shift, essentially, and they would take their 15 minutes and play D&D. So they hadn't played in forever, and we, Jordan and I, so skipped ahead like 30 years or more. And uh, (laughs) Jordan and I uh, are going on vacation to a cabin with my parents over Christmas. And so I decided I would run a supernatural RPG game (laughs) because there was apparently a supernatural RPG. And uh, they all played like I made my parents characters and Jordan made himself. But I made it's us. I made my mom, my mom. I made my dad, my dad. 
I made Jordan made himself. And then, you know, I made myself as an NPC and then I, I went missing and the whole thing was finding me. Mm. And that was really weird and fun. <laughs> no, I've I've done a couple of homebrew things, um, you know, whether it's like, you know, one shots for people who are just trying to like, you know, try things out. Um, I did kind of riff on Council of Thieves. Like I took the contents of like the first book and kind of the setting of that and then went and did my own like, you know, last five books of it. Um, that got wild. Reason, mainly because the, the group split up and I suddenly had to scale it down for two people. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to start homebrewing this. Um, so that was wild i think really the most home spun homebrew thing that we do is that all of our games do take place in the same universe so mm. tyrant's mm -hmm. grasp and mummy's mask and uh, hell's rebels are all taking place in the same version of galarian just True. you know at different times yeah um i mean i'm gonna try to be brief um because rick already mentioned the uh old white wolf system mm -hmm. i do have some very fond memories especially of that dark ages game there mm. were some really cool times there so i just wanted to say props for that um I'm, i liked that game was fun and then uh there was one more recently that i played that was rune quest i don't want to get super into the weeds on it but it was a lot of fun um i had a goat herding priest of his the goddess like the local nature goddess so, that sounds amazing ross yeah <laughs> if you know the value of a goat you know the value of anything nice mike signs off with thanks again for all the entertaining listens mike from kentargo very cool so thanks, that's, mike. Thanks, thanks mike so that's the end of our uh emails so now we are going to cast the lord of the third circle of hell maman oh Whoa. dear Okay. I gotta think about evil folk. Mm -hmm. um, the Archdevil Maman is Hell's accountant and treasurer. Okay, he rules accountant. over the lightless realm of Erebus, the third plane of Hell, metaphorically located between the Iron City of Dis. Maman was once the angel imperial lord of gems and silver before he betrayed heaven and joined with Asmodeus in his exodus into Hell. During the battle of the Triune Star, Maman discovered the Proteans and sought to turn them against Asmodeus's foes, but he was surprised by Serenre and her hosts. In the end, Maman was cut down, his corpse falling upon the 13,001, I like there's and one, <laughs> gem-filled chest he brought to buy the Protean's aid and left to drift in the maelstrom. <laughs> it was uh, that last one there. that was really the problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, centuries after, agents of Mephistopheles retrieved Maman and brought him back to hell. Asmodeus had him brought to the vaults under Dis, where the other archdevils laid him amid his vast trove. However, the fury of the Maelstrom and the power of Hell somehow combined to remake Memon, who turned his burial treasure into his new body. Asmodeus, intrigued, supplies, supplied Mammon with wealth from Nessus and remade his crypt into Erebus, the, his new realm. Memon once looked like a majestic angel with sleek muscles, gleaming eyes, and white hair. He retained this form after his fall until he was defeated by Serenre. Now all kinds of wealth and Erebus contribute to his body. And when receiving visitors, he, he possesses the Argent Prince, a silvery replica of Amon's old angelic body. When intending counsel with fellow archdevils, he instructs his servants to carry specifically chosen trove to Nessus so he can take the most majestic form possible. <laughs> so, wow, this guy is literally animated freaking treasure that rules a... Good lord, he sounds hell. like hedonism bot. Gosh, he's a fancy man. <laughs> oh, he's me, a very, please. very fancy man. There oh were bodies everywhere, uh -huh. and then the explosion happened. <laughs> oh my gosh, who's the voice actor for Hedonism Bot? Uh, no, no, no. I I have a joke one, and then I have my actual one. Oh my god. My actual one is a joke one, but... My joke one is Michael Douglas. 
Mm. Okay. Because greed is good. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Okay, that's fair. There we go. I'm gonna... I actually have one. I have one, too. Because this... Maman just sounds ridiculous. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like this handsome, ridiculous man. I'm going with Ryan Reynolds. Oh, I didn't like him. <laughs> Fair. I feel like it's too Fair. chaotic a little bit. Um, yeah, I was I like, like I feel like he's too chaotic too. But just because you're lawful evil doesn't mean you can't be shenanigans. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I yeah. So, uh, Ryan Reynolds is of course a very very handsome man, and yeah, I just something about that just made me go, yeah, this works. So. Ross would be next if we're going in the normal order since Rachie's not here. It me. Okay, (laughs) very well. Uh, Yeah, I guess for me, um, originally thought of it, it was like, that would be a funny joke. But the more I thought of it, the more I actually appreciated the idea. Uh, I'm actually going to go with Rick Moranis. (laughs) Because he has this sort of like kind of uh, pipsqueaky vibe that I think would work really well with this Maman, you know, being this sort of like, <laughs> I have these grand, illustrious ideas that never quite pan out. <laughs> and then I kind of get put in my place for a while. <laughs> so, I don't know, I think it would be fun. <laughs> All right. So, Rick. My actual one, just because this this actor plays affluent characters, like characters with wealth so well, especially like wealth and privilege and all the rest of that. Christian Bell. Oh, like he always comes across like a very much American psycho. Like he did a very good job in that movie being completely insane. Yeah. That, that flip flop back and forth. But at the same time, like when he was playing Bruce Wayne, it was super charismatic. I I 100% believe this. It's very charismatic and all the rest of that. And also there is always something like, even when he was playing Bruce Wayne, there's always something kind of skeevy about this guy. Hmm. Like, I don't know what it is about just the, the way that he acts or anything like that. And he also 100% throws himself into every any role. Um, the machinist, for instance. Yeah. It's true. Oh, like, yeah. So the idea of him going from like, oh, I'm going to be portraying this uber powerful angel being to like, oh, well, now I'm a pile of like treasure. I can imagine him just like gluing bits of uh, of gold to himself and walking around. <laughs> now, I have the, anyway. I, now I have the Ice Nine Kills song about American Psycho stuck in my head. Anyway. All right. So, everybody's favorite brother from Arrested Development, Will Arnett, who played <laughs> Job. That's a good Oh my choice. gosh. Oh my gosh. He's so entitled and ridiculous. He has such mm-hmm. terrible plans, but he believes in them wholeheartedly. <laughs> he's not bad looking, but he's also hilarious, which would be very funny. Illusions, Dad. You don't have time for my <laughs> illusions. <laughs> anyway. Oh my gosh. Jeez. Mm-hmm. I uh, like how most of our choices are people that are awesome and also ridiculous. It's I a yeah. man made of treasure. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, that's the problem is like, I could see it if you're just like, oh, he's a, you know, he's a, you know, really cool angel. And we'd pick somebody totally different. But it's like, oh, and he's really weird now. Like he's gotten, you know, really into he's this like, whole gold body thing. He's literally an animated pile of treasure and chooses the fanciest pieces of treasure when he has to go <laughs> to court. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? All right, okay. Jordan, what you okay, got? Okay, so I don't know where this came from. Um, I, I think because the, the description of him just sounds so extra and ridiculous, I'm going to go with Johnny Depp. <laughs> okay. Because right. Johnny Depp has a lot of range, and Johnny Depp is just a little weird, and I feel like this role, you got to be just a, a little? little weird. you got to be some weirdness. Sure, sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, there's some weirdness in it. So Johnny Depp is who I'm going with. Right, now I'm enough. picturing Maman as Jap- Captain Jack Sparrow. 
that's kind of what I was going for, right? It's just I like, thought you oh, said mama for gone. a moment there. I was <laughs> very confused. <laughs> 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 oh, man. You'll always remember this as the day that you almost caught Mama. <laughs> is Mama played by Judy Dench? <laughs> uh, I thought somebody. Already, I thought Judy Dench already played somebody. Oh, I, I, don't oh, I have she, no idea. I don't know. I don't uh, know. This, this is a. I'm, I'm going to say this is very sad. Posthumous casting, but Betty White. Aww. Yes. Mama Aww. is Betty White. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm very yes. sad that that is now a posthumous casting. Ratify. I know, yeah. Betty. Yeah. But so, well, actually, hold on. Because from the ether, Rachel would like to go ahead Dang and it. throw in her hat for the casting on this. Is she just in the room with you and not no, like? I've, I've got a, I've got a text here. Oh, all right, <laughs> amazing. Does she have two, right. or is it just all one? Right, Rachel, now? What yeah, you got? did she say I have like twenty, but I'm narrowing it down to this one? I can only imagine that she narrowed it down from a much more substantial list. So, um, all right. since you, she is not is... here, I will have to be the one to defend this casting choice. All right, what did she? Who did she pick? So Rachel cast for this Doug Jones. Now, many people probably not as familiar with Doug Jones' face. However, you are probably very familiar with his acting. Uh, he was the fishman in The Shape of Water. He was oh. Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, he oh. was the um, Abe Sapien in Hellboy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's in the new Star Trek Discovery. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, Asaru. Uh, so I, I pulled him up because I didn't know who he was. So of course I went to Google, and it said it lists here on his like little like Google description uh, is an American actor, contortionist, and mime artist. <laughs> nice. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, I could see it. Uh, also, just on the subject of him being made of pure silver, I believe Doug Jones was the Silver Surfer in Fantastic Four. Wow. So being a completely silver being would uh, also be within his wheelhouse. <laughs> he was also Billy Butcherson in Hocus Pocus. Yes, he was in Hocus Pocus. Yeah, huh. as Billy. Okay, I'm over. I'm on the Doug Jones train. <laughs> I have one Jessica over to the Doug Jones so, train. <laughs> the voting for the castings has moved to our Discord channel because I do, I'm in charge of that now, and I don't know how to make polls on Reddit, but Discord I can handle. So when you when this rumor mill comes out, mm -hmm. I, there will be there is a casting. I think what did we call it? Casting powerful folk or yep. something like that. There's a channel on the Discord where you can go and vote for your favorites. Absolutely. Oh. After the polls close, they are updated on that page as well. Let me be Rachel real quick and say, well, when I first saw Doug Jones, he was in the Hush episode of Buffy. He played oh the my bad God. guys. <laughs> That's right. He, oh, my God. Did, did you know that or did you have to go look and, that am up? Am I the only I one saw a that picture when, when I, I started him. reading about Maman heard the crab singing Shiny yes, from I, Moana? That's the first yes. thing I heard. No, 100%, <laughs> yeah. Shiny. Yeah. True. Yeah. <laughs> That is our <laughs> that is our rumor mill ten for Hell's Rebels. Mm -hmm. uh, go out there, go to the Discord and vote for your casting for the ridiculous Devil Lord Maman. Um, and good luck out there, Path Folk. We will see you next time. Till then, Bye, everybody. Bye. Stay Bye, safe out there. Buffy reference. You gotta put that in there. I can't believe that was a Buffy reference too. Man. Everything Rachel does is a Buffy reference. Find the Path Ventures is an officially licensed partner of Paizo Incorporated. Hell's Rebels is copyright 2015. Hell's Rebels and the Pathfinder Adventure Path are trademarks of Paizo. All Pathfinder images are property of Paizo and are used with permission. Find the Path Ventures have converted Hell's Rebels from Pathfinder to Pathfinder 2nd Edition. Conversion notes are available to our Patreon backers at patreon.com backslash findthepath. <laughs>